0: Join us as we venture beyond the pen and celebrate the power of the written word. Hello, everybody. We are here. We are back. We are live welcome to beyond the pen where we help you unleash your creati- creativity by telling you all these tips tricks that are going on in the publishing world from an actor's point of view and a author's point of view my name is maccabee griffin if this is your first time being here thank you for giving us a chance if the, if you've been here more than once thank you for coming back we appreciate this chaoticness by the way speaking of chaos welcome my co-host I am
1: Chelsea C. Rice, depending on if you follow me on, on any of my books. But that's not even important today because we are talking to Diane Bergner, who wrote The Royal Coconut Beach Lunch Club, which is a fun fiction, women's fiction romance. Did I get that right?
0: Yeah, something um, to that nature. It's a little, there's a little bit of spice little to it. Fun. There's a little bit of spice steamy. to it here and there. It's a it's, steamy. Okay, okay Steve. Steamy. Frog yes. up the well, windows. No, no, we are not doing the handprint in the back of it. That's
1: immediately what I thought of too. I was like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) "Dang you, Titanic!" Come
1: on, Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, what if you've listened to the previous episode? If you haven't, stop talking, stop listening, and just go listen to that first and then come back to this so you get a little bit more insight into it because in the previous episode we talked about romance Mm -hmm. the genre itself we talked about a lot of things of like the blurred lines what goes into it the cliches the different things you need to watch out for depending on what type of genre you're going to work with are you going to be what, what, what type of romance did you call it? The original, like the standard?
1: Oh, the contemporary sweet romance.
0: Contemporary sweet romance. Then you have the spicy, steamy. the steamy, the steamy. And then you've got the guide to know what everything. You've got How basically you the guide. Yeah, you've got the karma sutra. That's what you got. <laughs> if you go to that.
1: But with fun locations. Locales, characters, weird situations. Guys, we're obviously talking about the smut erotica genre, which, if you write, is not a bad thing. Just keep it realistic, which is what we talked about last time. Don't do anything, because let's be realistic. There are warning labels on things for a reason.
0: Come on. We 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 made the comment about Fifty Shades of Gray and how that started out and the way people were kind of trying to reenact it and were nonsense, landing in, yeah, they were landing in the hospitals, even with, hey, warning, do not try this at home. And yet the numbers were going up still. It is. It was bad. A
1: two-second Google search would tell you some of that stuff is impossible. <laughs> like, guys, this is your body. It's fine. At least,
0: at least, if you're going to do it, at least stretch first so you don't hurt yourself.
1: And think realistically about the things you are doing. I don't. Yes. Is my leg supposed to be like this? You're always supposed to be able to breathe in some way, shape, or form, first of all. Certain objects do not go in internally, it's literally on packaging. Like, come on. Guys.
0: Speaking of packaging, uh. <laughs> Well, yeah. I know. Yeah. Hey, hush. It's 20 years of my, my marriage is all based off of bad puns and the worst timing ever. Okay? Hey. It's just how it is. But it makes life fun. It is. It does. Yeah. So, anyways, without further ado, we're going to bring out Ms. Diane Bergner so she can introduce herself and introduce the book for us. Hello, Diane. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great, and thank you for having me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. What a great opportunity.
0: Oh, we appreciate you being on here, too. So, first off, please introduce yourself to our listeners, and if you could, if you're willing to. Tell us something that most people don't know about you.
2: Well, most people didn't know that I wrote fiction until they came to my book launch. So uh, I've been a professional person in the working world, a real career woman. I'm an attorney from New York, which is where I grew up, born and raised Brooklyn and um, I practiced law there and we moved to Florida and uh, I worked at a law firm for two years and I've been with the Raymond F. Kravis Center for the Performing Arts for 24 years, where I've been the chief fundraiser. So that is my story in a nutshell. Um, But I'm also an author now. And um, this has been a true joy. And I'm going to keep going and going strong. And I'm working on another
0: book. So that's awesome. (laughs) That is awesome. So just for a sense of context, could you tell us what your book is about within, I would say, what, 10 words or less?
2: Well, the one word, somebody asked me that recently, they said, say it in one word, and I just came out and said bubbly, because that's what came to mind, bubbly. Um,
0: She's not wrong. There's a lot of champagne involved <laughs> yes, in this. So there is. So there's a lot of bubbles. So
2: she always have champagne.
0: True, yeah, very true. And
2: it's so gross. <laughs> but um but chels you said romance so i would say you know it does cross genres it it is it's romance it's mystery it's um workplace drama it's mm, i want to say crime but it's not a hardcore crime book at all but there is that element of 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 that in it um so how many words am i up to like six or seven
0: i think we i think you hit like seven right now with the bubbly included so that works that that
2: works but um but women's fiction yes it's women's fiction but i have to say uh some men have really been enjoying it and they've come to some of my book club events and I love seeing them there. And, you know, I don't like the word chiclet so much and it's really not that. So,
0: (laughs) And we were just talking about that a little bit earlier too, uh, in the previous episode, by the way, go back and watch it. It was really good. You can watch the videos on Saturdays as well as, uh, get your new copy of, copy of it, uh, your new listen every Tuesday and Thursday at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, but one of the things that we were talking about was that there is this new drive of bromance is what has been Counted as anymore.
1: Hold on. It can't what? possibly be that because bromance is a super awesome friendship between two guys. We got to create a new word for that.
0: Yeah, I know. I thought the same thing when I thought that too. I was like, hmm, why are we calling it bromance when it's not really that? But when they're going after men, that was the demographic uh, description of it, which is ridiculous. But it, it, to me, I wanted to ask you this how does it really what's it feeling like when you're actually seeing these men come into these uh, clubs and just talking about how much they love this
2: uh, it I, like? that makes me feel feel so happy because i really didn't want to be you know pigeonholed to mm-hmm. be honest and the cover alone you know it's a pink cover you have it there right with it looks kind of girly, doesn't it? Uh, and bit, now, yes. actually, it's the hot new color with Barbie. What can I say? I had no idea, but <sighs> but a lot of I know. But up, oh, turn around, turn around. I know. I, know.
0: <laughs> I wear a pink shirt. I have a pink freaking uh, Golden Girls shirt. I wear. I'm not worried about pink.
2: <laughs> but the you know, so I do really like it when men are enjoying it as well. And, you know, to me, it started as nonfiction, to be honest, I'm a fundraiser, something I'm passionate about. And I wanted to, I started writing nonfiction. I said, Oh, God, another boring thing that I'm going to be doing. I, I I just it started to evolve into fiction, I started having a good time with it. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's, a fiction, you know, fiction is the best way to say it. And mm-hmm. um,
0: with, yeah. with a little sense of reality as a uh, as an inspiration, because like you said, you are a actual fundraiser for right. the, what, what the what was the was the organization? It's
2: the Kravis Center, Kravis, K-R-A-V-I-S. It's it's the big it's it's the mini Lincoln Center in West Palm Beach, so to speak, and um, mm-hmm but you know i really did want to shine that light on mm-hmm. that profession and i after seeing the devil wears prada reading the book i said wow she really show you know shone a light on the industry the magazine industry and and the you know all the turmoil and all that i still have my job here so it's a completely different story and a success story but i said what a great way to to show this in a fictional light, and people actually are reading it. And to your point, you know, a lot of the gentlemen who read it ask me, "Wow, I didn't know that about fundraising." You know, they they're more into the business side of the book, yeah. and to, whereas the women like, "Oh, so what's going to happen to Julia and Mark in your next book?" And, yeah. you know, the romance side. So it's funny the different commentary, but um, I'm at least attracting both groups, so that that makes me happy.
1: I like it. I mean, it's great to incorporate everybody. So I know you said originally you weren't planning to go this direction with the book. Mm -hmm. So
2: what was your original intent with the book? Um, The fiction or the nonfiction?
1: Like When you started writing, were you looking to do like a, hey, this is how you become like a, a person that works with fundraising?
2: Was it like, what was your plan? That was the plan. Actually, you hit it on the head, Chelsea. It was. Um, it was like okay. Congratulations. Like, yeah, <laughs> win the prize. No, it was. It was a how-to. It was another manual that would go in the Association of Fundraising Professionals archives, and nobody would look at it because it's just another book. Um, you know, how to how to raise major gifts, how to steward people, that kind of thing. Um, and when I started writing. I just started coming up with these crazy ideas and people are always telling me, oh, you should write a book about what you know. And I'm thinking, I don't wanna do that. I'm still here, it's my reputation. Even if I'm not here, it's my reputation in town. However, that sort of gave me the idea to do the opposite, tell, you know, make up stories using my knowledge as the springboard for that, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because like you said, the the main character that's in the book, um, she is not only a fundraiser herself. She's also a lawyer and she deals with, um, estates. Is, was that correct?
2: Yes. That was her former profession.
0: Um, but she didn't even want to get into it originally. She didn't even want to get, she wasn't even thinking of being a lawyer.
2: No, she wasn't. And she just went ahead and did it. And quite frankly, That replicates my life. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated from um, a small liberal arts school. You know, I learned how to write great essays and theses and papers. And that's where I really fell in love with writing, actually, in a methodical, analytical way. And I said, wow, I love doing this. I would be a good lawyer. I'll go to law school, you know, and at at small little colleges like uh, where I went. You go to law school, you go to medical school, or you go, you know, whatever, you know. But business figure it out. Yeah, figure it out. It just yes, you figure it out, and I just just seemed like law was the right path, and I did like practicing. I did not not enjoy it. It was just I to be you know very transparent. I had a family, little kids, law firms are kind of rough. I just sort of got away from it and wound up working at my law school, Hofstra Law School for about four or five years um, as a public interest research fellow before I moved to Florida. So I sort of navigated away from um, law anyway, not like Julia in the book. She practiced law and then she went to um, work as a fundraiser so um.
0: I think I I really enjoyed the concept of the interactions between her and her husband Mark and the Mm -hmm. way that they originally you know they've, they've had issues with having children but they still you know gave each other that positive outlook of like hey even if we don't have children we're still here we love each other we're still romance involved Mm -hmm. even though we may not see a lot of each other because he's also a lawyer in the book Mm -hmm. the the present the presentation of enjoying those times and and really harnessing those times that you have with that person even in a busy career
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I, i love that you say that i really do Go on. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're
0: me. good. You're good because the in in reality, that's a lot of things that are happening to couples today. Even those that are still in the dating phase. Uh, if you're like Chelsea, you do it for five years before you decide to go get married, um, or write a bunch of books in or write a bunch of
2: books time
0: <laughs> exactly. We can't be overachievers, okay. like, yeah. We can't be achievers like Chelsea is.
1: Hey, I'm um, going to take like a three month hiatus as soon as the next one comes out. Okay, like I am so
0: tired. Oh yeah, she, she is. But what was it about that interaction that was so important for you to express in this book for people to really see? Because again, we're talking about a romance. It, excuse me, a women's contemporary fiction Mm -hmm. but the sense that again that line is blurred between that and romance
2: you know okay so my my see my deep secret is (gasps) no Mm. i had a fabulous editor in new york who i worked with on the first draft the second draft and the third draft before i even went to find a publisher and go that route and i originally had um julian mark had a daughter her name was lizzie <laughs> and i didn't want to get get rid of lizzie so quickly my and i in the first manuscript of redline comments that came back to me she said you need to get rid of lizzie There is the focus should be on Julia and Mark. And in as a modern, you know, career-driven 40-year-old couple trying to make it in the world, children just add so much more dimension to that. Um, and it's just going to confuse the whole romance storyline. And truthfully, that is the overarching arc is the relationship with Julia and Mark and the push and the pull and the temptations and all that. So... I wasn't ready to get rid of Lizzie and I did all the edits, Leslie, my editor said to do, sent it back to her, but I didn't cut Lizzie. I wasn't ready to let her go, the daughter. So she sent back the manuscript with more edits and at the top of it, it said, why is Lizzie still here? So anyway, we dropped the daughter, the focus, it was so important that it's just on Julia and Mark. And then I was able to develop that relationship so much more once we lost the, the family, you know, the children element. So anyway, that's, that's the story behind that. And um, I love it the way it is with Julia and Mark. And, you know, it's, they're a modern couple striving for success, each one of them as individuals and as a couple. And how does that work?
1: I think so. that's a unique perspective that you did take because it is, like you said, there is an overall romance feel to it. But it's almost like romance life in a way. Mm-hmm. Because it's not, you know, obviously a lot of romance novels, romance is the goal.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: want the romance. You're focusing on it. But this is it's exact. It's very parallel to what couples experience nowadays It's yeah. you love exactly. each other you want to be together but okay i need to focus on my career i need to do this we need to find time to come together and i think it it showed just how imbalanced and how easy it is to fall out of balance so i think it's almost kind of a different type of how to like how to prioritize relationship time mm-hmm.
0: yes yeah. there is definitely that sense because i know that yeah. one one of the great things that um Mark loves about the uh, this life that she's attached herself to is the fact that he gets great stories out of it <laughs> and uh, the first one that you give us is um <laughs> her walking in on uh, one of the people that she's actually working for and that is I think this is great uh, Chrissy mm-hmm and yeah, the boss. The and boss. Yes, yeah, she's the boss. art. Right. Uh, but, no.
2: yeah,
0: but but she but not. I, I don't think she was the the boss in the particular event that she walked in on mm. at that time. Mm. Uh, mm. This is where a little bit of that uh, sense of, to put it obviously, the spiciness of the uh, experience of this romance comes into play a little bit, but. I like the way that you created someone who is completely different from from our, our main protagonist because of the fact that Chrissy has been doing this for a very long time. She mm-hmm. knows the ins and outs of fundraising. She knows what she has to do to get the money. And sometimes she's willing to honestly cross that line.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. And and Julia sees her in a compromising position um, with a major donor, board member, prominent person in the community. And Julia immediately thinks, oh, my gosh, what did I get myself into? This is what I'm going to have to do to tease out, literally tease out donations from, um, you know, the, the important people. and." You know and everything just sort of spirals from there somebody at work is trying to sabotage her anything that could go wrong goes wrong and and julia's sort of a goody goody and a little naive and mm-hmm. you know this world is happening to her and but she wants to be successful because she she just really likes what she's doing and gets seduced how do i say into this lifestyle um you know she's working morning noon and night but she's meeting the artist she's you know entertaining she's starting to have some success and in terms of raising money and you know so all the bad stuff that's happening you know there's some good stuff the allure of it all um kind of grabs at her
0: so and and i think that's something that when people see this book is that there is such a lifestyle change for her in the sense, not financially. Financially, it's more of a downgrade per se. Mm-hmm. But right. when you look at the lifestyle that she is so used to and she enjoys and she's happy with, mm-hmm. there is still that other point of like, somebody put it in a way for me uh, that made sense. Like, so when men or women, are looking at their life, they see the 80% that they're happy with, but there's always like 10 to 20% that they're <laughs> really, they, they miss, they wish they had. And so they go after that 20% instead of sticking with the 80. And that's something there's a, there's that moment of moral compass of where do I do? What do I do in this? Where do I go? And I think it's really interesting the way that you present it in such a glamorous Point of view because you're hitting a point in reality of what you do, anyways. You've been doing Mm -hmm. it, you said, for 25 years?
2: Yeah, just about 24, but getting there.
0: Getting there. (laughs)
2: Getting there. Don't
0: want to give you that extra year yet. Um, (laughs) But this is something that people don't see. Why was it important for you to show and express the true temptations of this world?
2: Well, you know, it's the, it is, It is a tempting world. I mean, look, the grass is always greener. I mean, Mm -hmm. you think these people have it all, right? If you're in it and they're just, you know, hopping from society event, charity event to charity event. Um, But, you know, when you're in that kind of milieu, it is easy to have reality and fantasy sort of blurred together. Like you, I think you just talked about that, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, it's it's temptation and what are your true values and you know, again, the grass, that 20 percent, is that grass really greener over there? And you really have to think about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why I put in JJ, the Argentinian billionaire who pursues Julia. And at the same time, Julia's husband, Mark, who has been wonderful, is starting to ignore her and she has suspicions about him. So that just heightened the stakes a little bit more because the temptation, to your point, you know, the fantasy of it all just got stronger. So it's sort of that that balance what's real what's not real and most of all um moral compass and what's right for and you as an individual you know where do you stand and what are your values amongst this milieu you know right. where you think everything's grand and perfect the perfect people <laughs> so there
0: you go there you go
2: <laughs> they're always i they're just i know messed up yeah we
0: we yeah. have to keep chelsea in line because she's part of that world you know
1: hey <laughs> I, I mean i i stay very far out the girls have the the wine and the champagne and i have the rum and i'm hanging out with the guys like i do not fit into that that with those people very well
2: <laughs> but they keep you and- come <laughs> well and that's the other thing I, which i thought was an important it's funny fitting in with those people um you know it is you here you here Julia is and she's got to navigate these people and as I said I made her a little naive on purpose and I also gave her those great women friends strong okay. independent women they I think they're fabulous personally, uh, who, you know, sort of help her navigate They're more experienced. They've already, you know, two are high stakes matrimonial family lawyers who handle prenups and postnups and everything for, you know, mega wealthy people. And the other is a wealthy decorator. So they're used to dealing with all these people. So they sort of educate Ju- little naive Julia on the ways of the world with these people. And that's helps her on her journey to figure out what does she really want from life and marriage, quite frankly.
1: I mean, it is hard. The, the gossip, the insanity, I can't imagine. Like, actually, no, I can't imagine. It's one of those, those crazy, insane things that people are obsessed with. And I think it's 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 very fascinating to read and, and have a book out there that it, kind of does dual, where it's not, oh, I'm just doing this to get to this guy. I <laughs> really like the idea of a different interpretation. We were talking about cliches in, our, uh, in the video before this one, in the podcast before this, about how there are cliches within every genre, but especially in the romance genre, because people like it. So if if somebody was to you know initially look at your book, they would assume girl goes, stops being a lawyer, becomes a fundraiser, Meets fabulously rich, handsome man, and then they somehow fall madly in love, regardless of the the crazy socialites. Like, the, but you right. didn't go that direction, no. and you you was there a part of you at some point that wanted to just fall into making it a complete romance versus yeah. what you chose to do?
2: No, in fact, um, Chrissy, her boss, kind of did go that route, although she was divorced. She went for the very wealthy, prominent man, and you know, life was supposedly easy for her. But in Julia's eyes, you know, she almost felt sorry for her. Here she is, the other woman. Talk about a cliche, right? Um, (laughs) She was the other woman, and Julia's thinking, well, I, you know, if I wind up with JJ, I'll just be the other woman, you know, and that. So, again, it was where's where's her values, Julia's values. And I think, you know, not to have a spoiler alert, but, you know, she she finds her way. So,
0: yeah. And and I think that's something that a lot of people need to see is the fact that there is this sense of i don't like to call it a happy ending because that means that it's always going to be that way for Mm -hmm. me it's more of this uh restoration of what you had previously it's Mm -hmm. this resurrection of the love that you've had for the person you truly fell in love with comparatively to oh i'm just going to have a happy ending and everything's going to be Beautiful and perfect at the end of my life, and it's never going to, I'm never going to have to deal with this stuff. Even though, in reality, reality is the key to it all. Saying temptations are out there all the dang time. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. Even if you love somebody, there's always going to be somebody or something that's going to try to pull you away from it. Mm -hmm. And I love how you do this with that. So, Getting down to the the nitty gritty of this book, and understanding that this world is something that not a lot of people have access to, mm-hmm. especially when it comes because of the fact that <laughs> if we're going to be honest, and this is a high society where billions of dollars are the only way that you're going to get into something in the mm-hmm. sense. What is the final message that you truly want people to understand about your story? What is it that you want people to walk away from knowing that they've sat down, put time and effort into reading this book, and now they have the chance to do what?
2: Well, first of all, have a better understanding of fundraising just At the very outset, like we discussed before, Mm -hmm. Uh, I love what you just said about resurrection or restoration of the original, you know, marriage. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, I love that you said that because to me, you know, it's an understanding of what does a strong, independent woman really mean? And it means she has choices, right? Yes. It doesn't, you know, and if it means making her husband happy and feel better. That doesn't mean she's less of a modern woman um, or a strong woman. It's what she's going to put into the relationship. And also what does she expect from the relationship as well? Um, And I think there's a little too much of male bashing these days to be honest and I didn't want this book to be <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> take like let's sock it to the men. So it was okay. a real real you know story about men and women in again these modern times and how a marriage can be successful with um, without compromising who you are but also the mm-hmm. full commitment. Mm-hmm the relationship does that make sense to you? absolutely absolutely because
0: yeah. you're right because there is a lot of and it's been going it's not just this year it's been going on for a while honestly yes. that mm-hmm. this yeah. idea of the definition of what an independent woman is mm-hmm. has changed from generation to generation
2: and the pendulum swings too right <laughs>
0: exactly and that's yeah. something that i think people need to remember when they are doing this, when they're mm-hmm. trying to use these terms, because uh, mm-hmm. I remember seeing there was a conversation with some young ladies and these guys that were saying m- about masculine, uh, toxic masculinity. I can't say it. toxic masculinity. I can't say it. Masculinity. masculinity. <laughs> <Name> it is, <laughs> right. Toxic masculinity. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> the fact is, is that term is not real. That term was specifically for, specifically for prisoners, men that were trying to Mm. dominate over other ones. And then the mainstream psychology, there's uh, obviously another better definition of it, but the mainstream psychology world actually took that and they tried to spin it in a way Mm. that made sense for other people. And that's why we have this whole idea of toxic masculinity.
2: Okay.
0: When it's not just toxic masculinity, it's toxic period. Mm -hmm. because toxic means that somebody within the relationship is having that situation. They're Mm -hmm. the ones that are bringing it down. And we could go into this uh, uh, on so many different levels with your book, because there is some sense of that in there are certain parts Mm -hmm. about the toxicity within the relationships. It's not just the relationships between husband and wife or uh, friends or, you know, the benefactors, in this sense, there's, these are real things that happen in real relationships. Mm -hmm. So final question for you, because we're getting to that time and I don't want to hold you up for too much longer is the fact that we all have a sense of weakness that we have involved in our lives. And in this case, we always ask before we end the show is when you're as a writer yourself, who has mm-hmm. published successfully this wonderful book. What is your writing kryptonite? What is your weakness?
2: Uh, right now it's time, to be honest, which is not, I mean, that's a, that's kind of a side note. But, I mean, I am craving more time to write. So mm. that's definitely it. Uh,
0: Finding the season, per se?
2: Yes, in the high season especially. And quite frankly, we're getting so busy here, you know, in West Palm Beach with so many people moving here, you know, we're a full time operation now. Mm. It's there's really not a lot of downtime. So that's definitely presents itself an issue. But um as far as the actual writing goes, I sometimes uh I tr- I I tell too much, and then I have so much work to do to get it into fiction to show it, mm-hmm. and that's you know which I love to do. Believe yeah. me, it's so much fun. It's like taffy pull. I mean, it's, I'm like a little girl in a candy shop, just doing it, but it's it's not so easy.
0: <laughs> that's true. I know that, and we had this conversation on the previous episode too, is that there's a lot of points where a lot of people love to just plot drop everything. Mm -hmm. because they're so excited and passionate about their their book or their story in general that they forget you need to leave stuff behind so people can have that intrigue and the mystery so i definitely understand that well diane thank you for being on the show we appreciate you being here this is the point where we give you a selfless self-promotion point (laughs) the shameless self-promotion where can people find you any big events coming your way the floor is yours
2: uh, well, first of all, thank you again. I really appreciate being being here with both of you. Uh, so I can be found on Amazon, obviously, Royal Coconut Beach Lunch Club. Just go to Amazon, click, and there it is. Uh, I do like to support my independent bookstore. So if you're ever in Palm Beach, the classic bookshop carries it. And it's also on other retailers online. So, but Amazon, I'm I'm driving traffic there, and I have a website that we're filling with all the upcoming events. And it's Diane Bergner, you know, W-W-Diane Bergner, b e r g n e r. So you could find me there. It's being populated. I have a whole season ahead of speaking engagements in addition to my full time job. So.
0: Thank you again. It sounds like it. Thank you yeah. again for being on here. We appreciate you.
2: Oh, thank you. Loved speaking with both of you and oh, appreciate it. Thanks. That's
0: awesome. So your thoughts?
2: I mean, I
1: think we got some really great insight. It was a different perspective. It was, you know, it, she took a different route in in doing an overarch of romance. Instead of just shoving it in your face, she brought the modern world and our new type of romance and how you know it's not we can't spend every waking moment thinking of a million different ways to show our appreciation sometimes you don't you have to take those small moments and work hard and i think that it's pretty different
0: that's true so what is your tips and tricks for this episode for people to walk away with with
1: i would say it's it's really important to not be afraid to branch out regardless of the genre
0: there
2: you go.
1: switch up the rules a bit, you know, take a chance. You never know what's going to happen. You don't know you might be a next sensation. You'll relate to readers that you wouldn't expect. Just like Diane said, she has a lot of guys going up to her that are just saying, Hey, this, this is great. And maybe that's what you want a little more of.
0: That's true too. And so my tip and trick for this episode is definitely, I agree with what Chelsea is, but now I have to, you know, Try to figure another tip out. Mm-hmm. I know you took mine. You took mine. No, I, I would say the best tip that uh, I got out of it was obviously, and I, I say this a lot too, is use your life experience as a as an inspiration for what you're writing because the more the the phrase is, you write what you know. From an actor's point of view. I would definitely say understand the environment you're putting the character in. If you understand it, it makes it easier for you to write. Yes. And it makes it a lot more con- uh con- convincing that you are the expert within whatever you're writing. So Again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. We appreciate you being here. Again, if this is your first time, please come back and join us. If again, if you've been here multiple times, continue to follow us. You can go to where, Chelsea?
1: BeyondThePenPodcast.com and get all of our latest episodes. Check out our blog, learn some tips and tricks on there because we always write them down. Make sure to join our Facebook fan page on Beyond The Pen Podcast where we show some more shenanigans and follow us on Instagram to get instant access every single week to all of our episodes at beyond the pen pod. And don't forget to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday at 5 AM and you'll get brand new episodes.
0: There you go. And of course the videos go up every Saturday, early in the morning and in the afternoon. Just keep in mind in there, they are up They are ready to go. And we, again, thank you for being here. My name is Maccabee.
1: And I'm Chelsea.
0: And this is Beyond the Pen, where we help you unleash your creativity. Hey, folks, that's a wrap for this episode of Beyond the Pen. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to stay connected and up to date with everything Beyond the Pen, follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Pod and Instagram at Beyond the Pen Podcast. For even more content and exclusive access to our guest profiles and more, make sure to visit our website at beyondthepenpodcast.com.